with a subheading that we began last week. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're using the quote directly from Jesus in John 20, where he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So command, he's saying to us, I have suffering for you, now receive the Holy Spirit. And it's not just um, suffering then, but it's for suffering now. And the, one of the things that Vineyard's taught me, that good news then is good news now. Okay, it's not good news 2,000 years ago. You don't want to sell something 2,000 years old. There's no relevance today. We're not going to sell anything anyway. But we have a relevant Jesus. We have a, a Jesus and a God and a spirit who wants to engage with us every day, regardless of where we find ourselves and what, in what period of time we find ourselves in. And so this is a part of an overarching series called Anchors. And the reason why we're doing Anchors is that all of us, we, do, we anchor our lives in the things, don't we? You may be aware of it, you may not. You may say, I don't really do that. You do, we all do that. Um, we anchor our lives into, we, we just bet our lives and some of it is people, relationships. Some of it is, is something that interests us. Some of it's maybe politics. For some of us, it's, um, it's family. Uh, but the thing that I want to help us to do is anchor ourselves into things that are timeless. Things that are unchanging in a world of shifting sands so that we engage in something that holds our hearts steady through storms and through changing times where truth is irrelevant, where we find ourselves uh, in cultural moments that are shifting fast and that have sped up, where we, we, we feel sometimes fearful to express truth and reality and who we are as the people of, of God and the community of faith. And so what we want to do is help you best we can in this moment so that you can know who you are, know what you're called to you, and know what you're about. Does that make sense? And one of the one of the most important things in that is our friend, the Holy Spirit, that your lives are anchored in his presence. Uh, there's a brilliant teacher. Unfortunately, he's, he's not well enough anymore. He's in uh, old age, and I think he has Alzheimer's. And uh, this guy I had the privilege of hearing uh, many years ago at one of our Vineyard National Leaders Conferences, a guy called Gordon Fee, brilliant theologian, um, charismatic, spirit-filled theologian. And man, do we need them. Uh, Fee gave us a brilliant definition. It's so easy to remember, so easy to remember. I'm looking at my notes. Uh, but he gave us this brilliant definition of the Holy Spirit. It is simply this. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence. Simply put, when we're dealing with the Spirit, we're dealing with none other. Listen to this. You're dealing with none other than the personal presence of God himself. So there's no escape in him. There's no... Let's put that to the side. Let's keep him in the shadows. Let's keep him in the background. Let's keep him as a creed. Let's keep him as something that we bring out in the end of a prayer to dismiss a congregation. He's more than that. He is God. He's God. He's God's person. He is God's power. And he's God's presence here on earth. That's what he is. But so we know the presence of God, right? We've heard about him, we've read about him, but sometimes, like I said last week, sometimes there feels like a gap. Do you ever feel a gap when you read the scriptures? You read the scriptures of uh, Jesus, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, the disciples compelled by the Great Commission that was just so, so compelling, wasn't sold at all. Like, do you not love Jesus' uh, sales pitch? Leave everything, follow me. It's like, give me a bit more. Like, he could have done with a good PR person, couldn't he? Sometimes I just don't think he would have worked for social media or we wouldn't have given him a PR job or dot-coms job. He wouldn't have been very good at it. Leave everything, follow me. 
Sure, there has to be more to it. This is my livelihood. This is my tribe. This is my family. Sure. And people were compelled by his presence, compelled by the authority, not just his words, but his works. And they were compelled so much that they left everything and followed Jesus to go on this cause called ushering in the kingdom of heaven. But as we read it, there seems to be a gap. And then you read, for some of us who read a little bit more, maybe you like to read people of, of church history and people, heroes of the faith. One of my heroes of the faith is Mother Teresa. Uh, we all have our heroes, people that inspire us, and that's good because Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So it's not a bad thing, actually, to follow some people. You just don't anchor your life in them. You're not their disciple. You're a disciple of Christ. There's a difference. But as you read about people like Teresa... I just read recently a brilliant quote, just so simple. She was never called to be successful, only to be obedient and faithful. Isn't that brilliant? In a world of dying for success and, and our slice of, of the cake of, of uh, popularity and fame, what a brilliant, humble servant. Never called to be successful, only called to be faithful. We took that posture what a different culture, what a different country, what a different nation, what a different society. But we read them and we're just enamored by them. And then we think, yeah, again, there's a gap in their life and where we are today. What is the gap? Where's the gap? What, what are we missing? And so there is this gap and we're aware of it when we read scripture. When we hear the stories of early church, how they quickly, how they quickly obeyed. And yet it just seems to be that they're filled with faith and confidence and boldness. Don't get me wrong, the early church was full of problems, right? They had their share of problems. I have people come to me every now and then and say, is it possible to be like the early church? And I say, yeah, no problem at all. Like the sexual immorality part, that's easy. Or the, 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 the false teachings that weave itself in through. And of course, the sectarianism that sometimes raises its head. Do you remember the time the sectarianism came to to? to a head when, when people were just looking after a certain kind of widow, when there were Jewish widows being fed, not Gentile widows. You remember that? That's called sectarianism. It's called racism. Right? So they had to share of it. They were, they were loaded with sexual immorality. That's why when Paul talks to those who were breaking bread and having communion, which we do now in our community groups, when, when he's talking about them, he's telling them to, you, you guys, you gotta, you got to put some things in order here. They were getting drunk, getting plastered in wine, eating food and being gluttons and, and having sex. That's how wild it was in the church, the New Testament. But we cannot deny, we cannot deny, yet with all its problems, all its false doctrines infiltrating the community, we can't miss that they were filled with an unshakable confidence in God. God was with them. And through them, through partnership with God, the Holy Spirit, they could do amazing things. There's no doubt about that. They were unshakable. They could do amazing things. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He writes this to them. He says to them, they had experienced some extraordinary miracle signs and wonders. Phenomenal things are happening. He said to them, I want you to know that God is able to do immeasurably. Immeasurably. More than we could ask or think, imagine. Now, when we're listening to that, we're thinking, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's just like, well, but, but we, we take it in our context, in our culture, if there's a gap between what they're seeing and we're seeing, there shouldn't be a gap. But if there's that gap in, in our logical minds, we can say safely that when God is, when Paul is saying this, that God is able to do immeasurably 
uh, remarkable things, more than they could ever ask, imagine, or dream of, we can say, yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I think God could do immeasurably more than I'm thinking about right now on a Sunday morning, because most of us are thinking, what time's he shutting up at? What time am I eating at? Where am I eating? What am I going to eat, right? So we were, we're thinking that. No, we're not thinking that. But anyway, I exaggerate to tell the story. But in the context of where Paul's speaking, the power of God was so great. The God of, of all creation, the Holy Spirit was breathing and moving. They didn't, they seen extraordinary, incredible miracles, signs and wonders. Paul had a handkerchief, right? Which was basically, I mean, like, I grew up in Pentecostal circles where people would, a Pentecostal preacher would come and then if, if he was famous enough and big enough and he had a healing uh, a ministry, you would maybe get a hanky off him, right? He'd give you a hanky, pray over it, and then you put it under your pillow or you give it to somebody who needed healing. But that wasn't the case. In fact, it was quite gross. The handkerchief or the aprons that they, they used to see people healed was actually sweatbands. Because they would, in the heat in that culture in that day, they would use, you know, like, I think Paul McEnroe. Yeah? You, you, uh, John, I think John McEnroe too. <laughs> I like to think of Paul. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. Well, probably less modern without the tick sign on the on the wristband. But they were sweatbands, and and people would get healed, and and then there's this one, and people were demons were coming out of people. Yeah, yeah, demons were coming out of people. People were being delivered from demonic possession. And one time, there's this extraordinary thing. You, you think I'm making this up. You see, people say to me, how far are we going to go? Could we not just stick to the Bible? I mean, are you for real? Have you read this thing? Have you read the book? Have you read the library? Do you want to go as far as the book goes? Because I'm up for it. I'm up for it. And so there's this one moment when Paul's shadow passes people. Now, I don't know how this works. But I have an idea that it was, he was so filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit that it overflowed in such a dynamic way that his shadow, his, it wasn't his shadow, but it was just his, the presence of Holy Spirit being in him and around him was so contagious that it says that Paul's shadow, now you're going to struggle with this because if we have this mindset that God doesn't do this stuff, then this is way, this is deep end stuff. Paul's shadow healed people in that time. This ain't vineyard. This is the book of Acts. Read it for yourself. Read it for yourself. Isn't that incredible? So now you put into context. They're seeing all this stuff. And then Paul turns around and says, God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And you're thinking, nah. What's next? And, and, and for me, there's this, there's this expectation there's this God can do greater things. They can see greater moments, greater power, greater hiddens that they can see numerically more than, than what they've seen to date. That's what he's saying. God's able to do way more than what you've seen. What you've seen with your naked eye, God's able to do more than that. So with that, shall we pray? God, would you come? Holy Spirit, come. I pray, Father, today that our hearts would be enlarged, our imagination would be widened, God, that it would be more there'd be more expectation in our hearts and our minds and our souls, Father God, for Holy Spirit, for you to come to empower us and to fill us again and again and again. God, we long to see, we long to see the overflow of you in our streets, towns, villages. God, we want to see 
what you can do. We, we expect and God, we do believe in our hearts. There's doubt there at times, but God, we believe to the core of our being. Somewhere there's a trace of faith that says you can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Come and breathe on us this day. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I pray. Amen. So how then, how do you discover this faith? How do you discover the faith and power that the early church had? How do we begin to engage with it, to, to put our toes in the water? How do we engage with the Spirit of God? Well, the key turning point was Pentecost. That feast, that natural feast in their history, in the rhythm of life, in the calendar year of that time, in the first century. Jesus says to them, do you want to, do you want to grab a Bible? Would that be a good idea? Grab a Bible, grab your phone. Does anybody need a Bible? Anybody need a phone? Phone or Bible? Bible, okay. So, there we go. So go, go ahead, turn to the book of Acts. If you're not sure where it is, in the front of every Bible, or as I like to call it, library, there's an index page. So don't get religious, don't try and look smart or cute. Just go to the index page, find the page number and go there. It's page 907 in my Bible. So this is the key turning point. Let me, let me back up. Let's go from Acts 1, chapter 1. So just straight after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's the book of Acts written by Luke. And he says, in my former book, which is the book of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about, listen to this, I wrote about all that Jesus began. That's a key word there, began to do and to teach. And if you're comfortable circling pen in your Bible, I would circle the word began, and I would also circle the two words, do and teach. So what does that tell us? That tells us that when Jesus was here, he, uh, he began to do some things. He, he's not completed. So he, what, what he's saying here is, formerly, I wrote about what Jesus began to do. So the continuation of that, that's why it's called the book of Acts, right? Not the book of thinking, not the book of might. The book of Acts, not the book of let's have a committee and think about some stuff. Let's have a, a consultation. It's called the book of Acts. It's the Acts of the Apostles. It's the workings of Christ, the Holy Spirit in the church. And we are the continuation of the church. So it's brilliant, isn't it? He sets us up. He says, Jesus began to do this. Now you're going to continue to do it. The story continues. The narrative continues. All that Jesus began to teach. And not just teach, but to do. He just didn't have words, but he had works. And so there's a continuation of this for us who sit here in a black seat on a Sunday morning. There is a continuation for all of us. Let's read on. It says this. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through, through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men. And he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the central message of Jesus, the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he, he gave them this command. This is the command. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. There's that thing of water again, connection with the spirit of God. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit. Go over to verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses here, near and far. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in, Judea, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the turning point of Scripture. The turning point of Scripture. And here's just a simple thing, but we sometimes forget about it, and we try and argue ourselves out of it time and time again. There is a direct correlation between power and spirit. There always is. You can't talk about the Spirit of God and not talk about the power of God. Now, we're uncomfortable with it, especially in a society where authority and power is not, not such a positive thing. Okay, we see men who have power want to build walls. We see men who have power and want to um, abuse that power Maybe over women in industries. We have people who are in power and they want to line their own pockets. We have people who are in power in churches, yes, in churches and mega churches and, and small churches too that take the power and use it not as a, a means to love and to extend the grace and gospel grace of Jesus Christ, but to use the power for a negative thing. And so that word power has a negative connotation in our lives. But in the scriptures, in the power that Jesus talks about, power and love are always connected, power and compassion our great companions. So there's that link. And I know we're past Christmas, but I'm sure we're getting it. I think it's something like, how many, 48 weeks to Christmas and counting? Huh? Less. Oh, I'm really getting excited now. I still have a Toblerone, all right? I'll let you into a family secret. I keep a Toblerone, and then when it snows, they open it. So I've got two Christmases in the one year. Does everybody else do that? No? Okay. Okay, let's go to the book of Luke. This, is, this guy also wrote, the guy that wrote the book of Acts, he's this is the gospel of Luke, all right. And just to save time, I'm going to read it straight off the iPad. Luke 1, 26 to 35. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Descendant of David means Messiah chosen one. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went there and said, Greetings, you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. <laughs> Do you ever find that? Like, I've, I've never picked up that before. Hey, God's got favor on you. And you're like, okay, what's the favor look like? Isn't it funny? We're all looking for God's favor. And then it's like, okay. Like Mary, what Mary's saying, there's a catch. I'm just being blunt about it. She's saying, like, what's happening? What's going to happen? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greatness could be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will receive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, Messiah again. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The kingdom message through, waves right throughout all the scriptures. I love it. How will it be? How does it happen? How do we bridge the gap? Well, that's a great question to ask. Even for our communities, for our families, as we read about Holy Spirit, how's it going to be? How's it going to happen? How are we going to change society? The Holy Spirit, here's the answer, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Turn the pages. Luke 5, 17. Swipe, do whatever you need to do. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And then there's this interesting verse. I always find this fascinating, right? So this is Jesus, son of God, right? Messiah, son of David that we just read about in the previous, over the pages or before. 
the previous pages. Here is Jesus, the God who was in the, in the beginning, he who was in the beginning, right? First John, he who was in the beginning, over all creation. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, and what does it say? said, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. Do you get that? Penny dropped. Jesus needed the power of the Spirit to be with him to heal people. See, we need the Spirit. If Jesus needs the Spirit, we need the Spirit. And here's a direct correlation again between power and Spirit. You cannot have Spirit without having the power of God. They're both linked. He's not some creed. He's not some message. He's not an option to add on to some charismatic feeling or Pentecostal movement or theology. He's there for the whole church. He is the one we need. If we're going to bridge a gap between what the first church saw and what we're experiencing today, if we're going to see our lives transformed personally and also corporately and then out into our community, we need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? So it's Jesus, but the power is present. We desperately need the Holy Spirit, guys. We need God's empowering presence. This is an anchor that we can't do without. It's an anchor we can't do without. See, generally, there are two stereotypes, sets of beliefs when it comes to the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Here's a simple way to remember it, in and on. In and on. The first group of people, and these people debate and argue with each other, it's crazy. Okay, so you have the radical Pentecostal movement, charismatics, and their whole... Their whole thesis is that the Holy Spirit is, is on us. He comes on us and he fills us with his presence. And the evidence of that is speaking in tongues, which is truth. Which is truth, the Spirit's on us. And then the other, the more conservative of, of the Christian family, they say, oh, the Holy Spirit is in us. And that happens at the moment of conversion. So what they're really arguing over is really, if they think about it, it's a timing thing. What is he, in or on? When does it happen? Does it happen when we give our yes to Jesus at that moment of conversion, when we say a prayer, and it's not so much about the prayer, but when we actually, in faith, give our lives over to Christ Jesus, when we say, come, Holy Spirit, when he invades our lives, he invades us, and he transforms us, and he saves us until the day of God. It's return, doesn't he? That's what the Spirit's job is to do. He comes in us. And so here's a simple metaphor. Here's a simple explanation for it. If you're taking notes, write this down, okay? Get it on your phone. He's in us for us. He's on us for others. He's in us for us. It's for us. It's for your benefit so that you can be transformed from the inside out. The Holy Spirit, if you like, is our DNA. He's our DNA of what it looks like to be God the Father, to be Jesus Christ, to have the character of God in our lives. If you want to be a good person and base your life around morals and, and try and do some behavioral uh, therapy, then that's not going to happen. Well, it might happen. If you're a very disciplined person, that might happen. But for you to change from the inside out, for us to be, for our character to be transformed, then we need the DNA of the Holy Spirit. He's in us. But we also need him on us. We need the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in us through the Holy Spirit. But we here at the vineyard, see, we stand on the view that there is one Spirit, but He has two intentions, two functions. The Holy Spirit is the inner counsel. We know that. The disciples received Him. You remember in John 20 when He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit? I believe that was a moment of conversion for them. I believe that was the moment where they were, they were transformed, that the Spirit of God, just like us now, just like us sitting here, the same Spirit breathes in us and comes in and dwells in us. If nothing tilts your head, that thing will. 
That thought will tilt your head. It tilts my head to this day that I have the Holy Spirit within me. I have the fullness of God within me. So he's in us. He's in us. He's transforming us. He is the counselor. He breathed on them. That life-blood connection connects us to community. It's serious business. The Spirit of God that breathed on us now is the common lifeblood that spiritually unites us in Christ to one another. But then Pentecost came, and then the fire of God came that filled them with courage and boldness. Do you see the two functions? He's in us to counsel, to lead, and to guide, to transform, and He's on us so that there's boldness and there is transformation that leaks out of us and onto others and places. Each of these accounts, these two positions, describe the same thing. It's just different function. So what is he? He's in us. He's on us. We try it again. He's in us. He's on us. I feel a little Pentecostal. He's in us. He's on us. Shit about a Honda. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let me illustrate it this way. You having fun? Imagine I came to your house. Not too many people know this about me, but I am a world culinary expert. <laughs> Particularly, uh, I would probably, if people were describing me, they would probably say I was like a professor or I would have a, a master in making spaghetti bolognese. No, that's my gig. Okay, so we, um, I come and I work in your house, and you're, you're, you're loving it because it's a great environment for me. I'm in somebody's kitchen. Do you know, are you with me? Are you following the story, Davey? Davey's a brilliant chef. Not as good as me, but he's, he's good. And so, he, um, so I'm there, and it's brilliant. It's a brilliant experience for me, brilliant work environment, and also you've never had better in all your life. So I'm working in this home, uh, let's say, and, and it's, it's, both parties are really happy, right? And then one day, you arrive home, and you discover two walls of your house have just been knocked down. And so you come, and you run to the chef, the culinary ex expert of Bolognese. You come, and you, your response is like, what's happening? And I'm saying, simply renovating your home. Maybe you didn't realize, but didn't you know that I'm not just a world culinary expert chef, but I'm also... And you get this, just, this just fits me perfectly. I'm also a brilliant builder, joiner, electrician, and just all-round great handyman. You just never discovered that, right? And in that instance, you probably yell or phone the police, which would probably make some sense. But you're obviously, then you're going to say, hey, hold on a minute. I invited a chef, not somebody to renovate my home. Okay, bit of tongue in cheek, but that's part of our problem with the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to come and to, to pour over us. We want him to, to guide us. I want that part of you. We, 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 and just like the chef, we want him to nourish us. We want him to feed us, right? Oh, fill me up, Jesus. Fill me up. Fill me up with the Holy Spirit. Guide me. I, I need some direction, right? You know, you know what makes me so sad? I need to get out there. We think in the church, this is so sad. When it comes to hearing God, we think the only part that God wants to communicate to us is when he gives us direction and instruction. How sad is that? 
sad is that? And he wants to be your friend. He wants to be your father. He wants to have a chat about colors and trees, food, coffee, the Swiss. Seriously. Do you think God doesn't engage in life? Anyway, that's by the by. So we want him to nourish and guide us. And and we want him to unite us. And this is all good. We want him to unite us in the love of the Father. But he also, listen, he also wants to pour the refreshing living water over our souls and over our lives and over everything we do. And if we just invite him for one thing, then we miss the part of living water. We miss the connection of him and flame in our hearts with vision and passion where courage and passion go together because of the boldness, because of the power and presence of this person called Holy Spirit. So who are you going to invite? Who do we invite to our church? Do you ever think that he feels so offended sometimes because of, and, and let's, let's be honest about it. We, we, it's about us. It's about me. It's about my reputation. I can remember a few weeks back here when they told the story of the butterfly. So I've got a great butterfly story this week. And, and I didn't, I, I wanted people to come up for prayer, for dreams, and the Holy Spirit comes, and, and people fall down, and people receive the Spirit of God in fullness, and I had planned for none of it. And I went home that afternoon, and I just said to God, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Our numbers are going in the right trajectory. People are starting to find a home here. They're putting the feet under the table. They're staying for tea and coffee. And then you have to come and show up and switch a little voltage into somebody's life. Because it's all about me and my reputation, right? But can I throw it out your way? Isn't that why we keep him at bay sometimes? Isn't that why we keep him? We, we, we'll invite him, but like, just behave yourself. Here's the, key, here's the thing about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and my mind's going in there again because I'm heading that way. It, it, it's like, here's the thing of the kingdom. It's inviting an elephant into your living room and telling it where to sit down. Yeah? Sit here. Don't touch anything. And certainly don't break anything. And we'll all get along swimmingly well. But we need more than that. There's so much debate, there's so much conversation around Holy Spirit, and, and then it just gets weird, and you know, we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when does it happen again, it's a time of thing. Guys, here's the thing, the issue of receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 and 8 is nothing to do with timing, it is simply a question, the issue addressed in Acts 1 and 8 is not when, but have you received power? That's where it lands. That's where it lands. Right throughout the book of Acts, the disciples go and they connect with a bunch of people who were seeing supernatural healings and wonders, right? These people were baptized with, with water, John's baptism. In the book of Acts, read it for yourself. And so they're, they're experiencing the phenomenon, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, and the prophecy. And then Paul, he's all excited. And he says, ah, oh, you're the same as me. What have, you, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? And they said, heard of the Holy Spirit? We didn't even know there was one. 
They didn't even know there was one. His question is, have you received the power? Not when. Do you want to receive the power? And that's a question for the 21st century church. Have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? And then we can say, let me help you with that. Whatever your Christian position is, wherever you're coming from, from your denomination, from non-denomination, from church background, non-church background, it's very hard here in Northern Ireland to get somebody from a non-church background. I ask people all the time, do you want to come to church? And they say no. And I say, why? Because I don't go to my own church. And I say, well, that's why I'm asking you, because you don't go to your own church. It's weird, isn't it? Ah, so weird. So even those who don't go to church have a church in their heart. <laughs> so whether you want to call it appropriating what really has been given to you or receiving a subsequent experience, I believe Jesus is more concerned that you're empowered by the Spirit than the way you explain the empowering experience. Can I say that again? Because that's where we get caught up. We want to be so good at explaining the encounter. When all the time, when all the time Jesus is concerned that you've been empowered by the Spirit. Not how, not why, not when. But have you? Have you experienced? Do you want to experience? How many of you could say, you know what? Oh, well, you know what? I got so much today I said yes to Jesus that I'm just living on that. I just couldn't take it anymore. My life just transformed. I don't swear anymore. I don't get angry. I never kick the cat. I um, drive below 60, keep all the speed limits, you know. I'm just, just doing life well. I'm probably the best Christian example you could ever hope for. And I'm writing a book at the minute. Yeah? How many of us can say that, you know what, my worship experience is so much better. I just, I just... Since that moment, I just feel the presence of Jesus every time I raise my hands. I just, I, it's so easy for me. Uh, and you see the gift of discernment? Oh, easy peasy, Japanese. Can you say that? <laughs> Sorry. Inside words and outside words. That's an inside word. Sorry. I need a little emotional, healthy trance. You say, I need a bit more spirit. I need a bit more spirit. That's all you've got to remember, isn't it? Be gone in Jesus' name. Wisdom and knowledge. Or guys, will you, will you ask for more power? Will you ask for more power? Personally, how are you doing? Have you enough of the Spirit's power that your life's transformed, your family's fixed, your marriages are mended, and, and everything's going swimmingly well? We need the power and presence of Holy Spirit. So the experience of the Spirit, the Pentecost, we're closing down now, we're landing. That experience seemed to somehow impact would you say? From a ragtag bunch of people who were locked in fear and physically locked in a room after Jesus had been taken from them, it seemed, killed, a brutal death, put in a tomb. This ragtag bunch of small band of locked in fear people are in an upper room. Caring for their lives. And it seemed that they went from fearful to ambassadors of the kingdom. It would seem, as I read the book, that they went from fearful, locked in fear, ragtag bunch of people, to fearless ambassadors of the kingdom. And this 
In Acts 1 and 8, by the way, guys, this is not an isolated case. Read the scriptures for yourself. This seems to me, as I read the book, normal occurrence for the Spirit of God to visit people. This just seems like regular, normal activity for the Spirit of God to powerfully fill and renew courage and boldness. So what happened is that you, you can go on chapter 4. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible, right? John and there's a little intimidation going on. The early church, church, the community, had opposition, religious and political opposition. And in the midst of that, the political rulers, alongside some spiritual intimidation, there were some demonic powers behind that, I believe. And so they get this guy called Peter and John. They threaten them. They beat them. They flog them to death, nearly to death. They give them a bad beating. And they tell them, hey, we want you to abandon your witness for Jesus. All right? This guy's taken over your life. You've anchored yourselves in it, but it's just got a little too fanatical. Calm yourselves down. You've lost the run of yourselves. Stop doing it. That's what he's saying. That's what the religious powers and the political powers of that there say. And again, there's the powers, the demonic powers that are, are behind that. We're not fighting flesh and blood. Paul tells me in Corinthians, we're, fight, we're fighting against the powers of the air. So it's not flesh and blood. These guys are just administering some things that are going on in the background. It's not Star Wars. It's, it's biblical. So as they return, they share, they get out of prison, right? And, and you get out of prison, you've got to like keep your head down, right? Which, wouldn't you? Can you imagine being flogged for your faith and then you end up in, in uh, Magabry for a couple of months and you get out of, you get out of Magabry? What are you going to do, hey? Huh? You're not going to do that again, are you? Are you nuts? Well, these guys just walk straight out of prison, knock the door. It's quite hilarious. They knock the door and somebody sees them and says, no, they run back in, don't answer the door. It's like, it's in the Bible. It's funny. So anyway, they get in, they tell the story. And what did they pray? This was no insignificant threat, by the way. What did they pray? After affirming God's sovereignty and authority over every circumstance, they simply brought the circumstance to him. They said, sovereign Lord, they cried out, show us that you're with us. I'm paraphrasing. Show us that you're with us. That you won't leave us. That we can be empowered with courage and boldness to continue to obey fully what you have commissioned us to do. They ask God to deal with the spiritual level. And they overrule it. And then they also said, would you bring a display of signs and wonders and supernatural happenings into this place? And how did God respond? Well, he responded so powerfully, listen to this, that the room physically shook. The Spirit of God comes into the room. The Spirit and power. The God comes into the room. And it's so powerful that it shook the room. It literally shook the room. The Spirit of God is in us. And He's powerful. And Jesus is with us. This was their sign. Jesus is here. Jesus is near. The Spirit of God is here. And it says this in Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. And they just didn't speak it. Actually, they did some days after that. And straight after that, there's no numbers in this original scriptures. We have numbers and chapters now to help us through the Bible. But there's no numbers. It's just the next phrase says, and they started to give away their possessions. They started to see supernatural things happen. It just wasn't word. It was work all at the same time. Isn't it beautiful? What's the connection? Spirit and power. Spirit and power. Spirit and power. Spirit and power. I suspect that we're not different from the first believers in that. We need 
Listen to me. We need powerful reminders of the Spirit's power and His potential to work through us. When our faith is infused with this recognition that God is with us, that the Spirit of God is here, God is really with us, then we conclude, who can stand against us? Who can stand against us? I don't need 300 people at the vineyard to change Dungannon. You know what we need? In the words of the prophet Springsteen, hungry hearts. Hungry hearts. Open minds to the spirit, receptive. Not judgmental or argumentative or not. Hey, don't sit here. Holy Spirit. But a ragtag bunch of Tyrone people as wild as you, Neil, in the spiritual, who would fight for king and kingdom. Not physically, but on bended knee, ushering in the beautiful, compelling kingdom of God. Why on earth would you anchor yourself in politics, materialism, religious jargon, the philosophy, and not live wide abandoned to the beautiful, beautiful kingdom of heaven through the presence of Holy Spirit. Paul said, kingdom of heaven is righteousness, it's peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So much more I could say, but let's stand. Now that I've got you stand, can I give you four points? Let me fire this out very quickly. People say to me, okay, Jason, great talk. Love it, love her, but why is it not happening? Why do we not see it? Number one, it's not taught. Sorry, but it's not taught. It's not taught, it's not caught. You don't care. Pastors from different persuasions, leaders from different philosophies and teaching. If they don't teach it, you'll never catch it. So there's a problem. Do you want to see people transformed, healed, communities changed? Then we need to talk about them. Second reason is for a lot of us, it's just packaged wrong. And I, I can't apologize. Some ministers go up and say on behalf of all the pastors around the world, um, like, like they have this mandate to, to ask for forgiveness. Well, all I want to say is there's just some bad models out there. You know, we watch the God TV channels and we just see it packaged wrong. And we think, yeah, that's kind of weird. And I don't really have a suit that got in my wardrobe. Who wears a white suit anyway in Northern Ireland? So it's just packaged wrong. And for some of us, we can't get past the model. Third big reason is we don't experience the Holy Spirit is because there's no expectation for people. That's a big one. Expect him to show up. He longs to become part of what we're doing. So you see when you come to church, what? What if you had an expectation? What if you came here on a Sunday morning and thought, I wonder what he's going to do today? What is he going to do in the midst of us? Is he going to change people's lives and hearts and transform? I wonder what he'd do in me today. I wonder if I let him what he would do in my heart. 
Come expecting. And then four, just look for the opportunities. See, right now when we're standing here, God's like, the Spirit of God is hovering around our community. He is hovering. He's brooding over addicted homes. Battered. Broken. Woman. Living. And abuse. And the Spirit of God is hovering. And he just needs some place to rest on. And that's you and me. <laughs> so would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. Come in your presence. Come in your power. You're wonderful. <laughs>